Welcome to the Book Blast podcast, our international podcast series, Bridging the Divide, Translation and the Art of Empathy, showcases a selection of the best writing in translation from around the world being published this year in the UK by 10 leading independent houses and a special guest. I'll now hand over to my co-host, Lucy Popescu. Thank you. I'm delighted to be able to interview Goran Voinovich and his English translator, Olivia Helliwell. Spanning three generations, The Fig Tree is a compelling portrait of a family defined by absence and the fragmentation of former Yugoslavia. Jadran suspects his grandfather, Alexander, of having committed suicide and his longing for knowledge and closure sends him on a quest to better understand his family and a darkness that they all seem to share on some level. His Bosnian father, Safet, leaves them when he is ten and his partner, Anya, disappears on two occasions. Goran, as well as a novelist, you're a screenwriter and film director, a poet and columnist. What's your preferred medium? Well, uh, at the moment I'm finishing my new novel and I'm also writing a screenplay and uh, something for theatre. So I would say writer. Also, if I look at the situation, writing is what I can do without any restrictions. So, But I'm also in the same time filmmaker because I have filmed that it's finished and we are waiting for the opportunity to show it to people. So, but, so yes, I'm switching still, but um, between film and uh, literature. But uh, I think as I grow older, I realize that uh, writing is what suits me more and suits my family more. So, yeah, I think I'm going to write more and film less in years to come. (laughs) And what inspired the subject and themes of the fig tree? Well, I should say many things, but uh, to put it simpler, I would say my life, because um, inside of this novel are two main topics that were also topics in my previous novel. That's one topic is growing up in Slovenia, being non-Slovenian. Um, and uh, the second uh, is uh, disintegration of Yugoslavia and especially the war. So these are my, I would say, main topics. But uh, here also with this book, uh, I wanted to write about many other things. Uh, of course, there's a lot of things that I brought in from my own experience. And uh, of course, the, 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 the locations of this novel are all connected to me very deeply. Uh, so there isn't one thing that inspired a novel, but there is maybe a, a, a scene I imagined where it all began is a scene of the person who left everything and went looking of complete freedom, the who cut all the ties to his previous life and just went down the river to some other world. And, and that was a scene in my head and I went from there. But then, of course, I, I came back to me, myself, my memories, um, my world. And it is it is about so many things, um, which hopefully we'll explore um, in this podcast. But why did you decide to call it The Fig Tree? Well, from the beginning, I had this title because 
when I say the fig tree and, uh, and in, the, in the original, uh, it's not really, it's not necessary a tree. It can also be just a fig uh, because in Slovenian, the fig tree and the fig is both, the, it's the same uh, word. And um, it just, when I say this, uh, it opens up the whole world. It's, it's a special fig tree. Is um, is a fig tree that stands on, in the garden uh, near the house of my grandparents. So uh, it opens this just this word opens so many things to me, and uh, it opens all world from which this novel grew from. I moved this fig then to the other part of Istria, some one hundred kilometers northern, um, and of course there these characters that are in the novel are not like copy pasted uh, from my life they're not real characters the grandfather is not my grandfather but uh, they all are coming from this world uh, from this uh, fig tree so and i said it's that this is what actually makes language and literature and poetry interesting is that Every word opens up for every one of us different things, but somehow we still understand each other. Uh, so I, I left at the end this title, which is uh, uh, very elusive, I, sh I would say. But um, but in, it's in a way it's it's also tells you that the novel it's also elusive in in a in a similar way. I mean, you mentioned that it was inspired um, by by real events and real people. So how autobiographical are the stories you tell? Well, they're very autobiographical, but I'm not writing autofiction. What I do is that I, I take my memories, things that really, really happen, but then I start playing with them. I put them in a different perspective. I put them in a different surrounding. I put myself, actually into different circumstances. Uh, I, I imagine alternative possibilities for me and for my family. And uh, um, so basically I I dress them in fiction. I, I, so everything, if you look to this novel, there's a lot of things that are really autobiographical, but when I'm writing, I let myself to be free to develop the story, uh, to be a story, to be a literature. Like, for example, uh, Alexander and his death, uh, it has a lot of similarity with the death of my grandfather. And, uh, and he himself has a lot of similarities, but uh, I treat him as a totally fictional character. And then I add, of course, this suspicion that he committed suicide which is totally fiction. Uh, and then I go along and play with it. And, uh, and and the same goes with all the other parts of the story. So I imagine that I put a lot of my father into the Suffet, but then my father would never left. Uh, and uh, I imagine I do add something to Suffet, which made him go away. And then I imagine what happens from that then on. So this is what I do, actually. And I enjoy it the, the most when I go really far, but still 
when I'm still connected to my real life and my own experience. When, uh, and uh, I think the, the, the most important questions, uh, question for me when I'm writing is what if? Uh, because I always imagine what if this, what I feel, or who I am or who are the people who I know, what if this and that happened to them? Where would, where would it lead me or somebody I know? And why is the past important? Well, for me, past is all I have when, I write, when, when I'm writing. I, I don't know um, about the future. I, 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 I'm even bored when I'm trying to imagine the future. But um, past is interesting because I can play with it. Uh, I can all I I can make things differently, uh, but root them in the really real past, and it's a it's a play field actually. And then of course, um, it's very important if you want to understand what's happening with with uh, I think here in the Balkans, but I think it's not. Uh, different if you look anywhere else we are producing a lot of history the, the past is always very present in our present uh, so it's of course from from the childhood you you are like pushed into this understanding of the past in the learning of the past so you be so you are able to understand what is going on because um, I, I remember when i was 11 years old and the war war started uh, you were forced to really look into the past so you would be able to understand what is going on at the moment in front of your eyes because without knowledge of the past this was for me and for not just for me but also for my parents and my, our friends it was completely uh, crazy it's uh, nobody that it didn't make any sense and um, so I think we are that's why it's not just me, but most of the writers from Balkans, but also from everywhere else, they are obsessed with the past, for because they are trying to understand, trying to understand, not just not just uh, the present and everything, but also the human beings. They 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 search for the some logic explanation and of course it's rarely you find logic into when you talk about uh, um, mankind yeah and what draws you to write about outsiders well as i said before uh, i was I, I grew up in slovenia being a non-slovenian and uh, that wasn't such a big problem until the war came and suddenly uh, me being outsider was was a topic was a, something that you felt uh, um, and uh, it's it was some uh, world it was like world suddenly was uh, made anew uh, like slovenians and non-slovenians but as soon as you uh, across the border there was croatian and non-croatians or bosnians and non-bosnians serbs and non-serbs it was suddenly very important and um, it was so easy to be outsider to feel outsider and of course later in life you discover that of course you can be outsider in many different ways but um, 
but the the first my uh, experience with being outsider is to speak a different language is to being the the son of the two um, two Im immigrants uh, luckily they were not illegal immigrants yeah. uh, my parents and uh, technically they weren't even re real immigrants because they just moved to the northern part of their own country but uh, as soon as that country slovenia separated uh, we were like uh, called immigrants and uh, of course uh, some not so nice words yeah. uh, so it, it, this was the part of my experience as i grew up and uh, and i think it it made me who i am of course i'm not, i'm not seeing myself today as a as an outsider but uh, it's still a topic that very much interests me and uh, I, when I start writing, I, I sort of automatically start writing about outsiders, and and I also believe that in a way everyone, everyone of, is an outsider in a way. It's not a, it's not necessary to be non-Slovenian. A lot of Slovenians are, are outsiders. Everybody has some point where he can feel being outsider. So it's it's what it's what we are how we deal with the insider and outsider in ourselves yeah yeah and just building on that i mean the, the story is partly set in the slovene capital ljubljana and partly in the village of of momjan did you grow up in a rural or urban community and what did you want the reader to take away from your portrait of three countries bosnia croatia slovenia but also two different settings, the rural and the urban. Well, I I grew up in Ljubljana, in a Fujina, which is very urban area, but uh, uh, is a mixture, it's culture, it's mixture of urban and rural, because a lot of people, like my father, father for example, came to live to Ljubljana from a rural areas, and they brought their way of life uh, um, with them so it was the the it, the life in fujine with uh, uh in in this neighborhood of ljubljana wasn't typically urban it has a lot of rural rural characteristics so in and it's this combination of rural and urban is somehow it's part of me because my father is coming from a smaller town in bosnia from a village actually and my mother is coming from Pula from capital of Istria which is very urban uh, part of uh, of uh, Croatia coast uh, and uh, and uh, and I have it both this let's say cultures in me I'm the mixture of those two and uh, I'm living with both of them all my life uh, even though I live in Ljubljana all that period um, but so and when i'm writing i think this both these worlds are just coming through me uh, and uh, and of course when i'm and i said before that um, the location of this novel are all deeply connected to me and i these are i'm when i say my homeland of course i'm i'm coming from slovenia i'm a slovenian writer but when i'm thinking about my homeland it goes across the border it goes 
to Croatia and goes to the parts of Bosnia. Um, it's much wider than uh, today's Slovenia because um, I'm bilingual. My first language is Serbo-Croatian or Yugoslavian language, uh, the one that it's now separated into four different languages. But um, I referred uh, to him, to this language in my novel as Nashki, which would mean our language. Um, so my this is my world. This is where I see myself as home. Uh, and these are I'm very much connected in to this part of the world, but not as as I don't see this as a country. I see the I, I take I belong to the language and culture and to some people. And when I say like Bosnia, I think also at one tree and two houses and maybe one graveyard and and I especially I see people and uh, uh, I hear I, and stories, I think and memories. This this is what I'm referring to when I speak of my homeland. So this is why all my novels are taking place in this area, I would say. And when Alexander is in Cairo in the 1980s, his wife Jana moves to Ljubljana and experiences a sense of liberation. Why is this? Because of his absence? Because she's living in a city? Or something else? Well, you can say it's a combination of all of these things. But uh, I think uh, one thing is that um, um, roles in the Yugoslavian society were very strict, even though that... Even though that um, Communism did make progress when we we talk about women rights and uh, they were able to finish uh, um, schools, uh, become I don't know doctors, lawyers, or politicians, everything. But uh, the roles uh, were stayed the same. The, the women were somehow still expected to take care of the family, to stay at home, uh, no matter how how emancipated they were, how liberal their husbands were. Uh, so I think um, as long as Alexander stayed with his wife Jana, she was, she was accustomed to her role of woman. And then, and only after he left, she she saw the opportunity to do something else with her life, to live her life differently. Uh, because before she was, of course, the, the wife of the, of the man. Uh, um, so so that's, that's in a way I wanted to show how they didn't, a lot of women in that period, they didn't really get the opportunity to live the life they would live if they would just be for them to decide what kind of life we're living and and for 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 Jana that's that happens of course she moves to the city and just spontaneously starts doing what she would like to do because first she's bored and then she discovers that there's a lot of things she would actually love to do and that she can do it because she doesn't have no more obligations toward the society, her husband, toward nobody. And um, 
it's uh, it just she just starts living differently and then she starts enjoying it and then of course uh, she's dreading the moment when everything would go back as it was because she can't really imagine herself going back to this way of life where she would be at home taking care of home and be just the wife of uh miss mr director yeah you know it's really interesting thank you and suffet when he returns to bosnia just before the war does not feel that same sense of liberation but he does not return to his family when he can why and could dana the brother-in-law have helped suffet well i deliberately left this question not really answered what happened to dane why he went to bosnia and it keeps popping up in the discussions about my book and i'm wondering maybe i i i should have uh, explained it more because i really understand this character maybe i understand it too much and because what i see with uh, safet and what i wanted to show is how how he was how weak men can be and how this patriarchal system can be uh can uh, can also terrorize men not of course the women are the main victims but also the men because they are supposed to be strong and supposed to be winning this game with life with a system with everything and all the, all the time suffered is uh playing with the system and winning uh these small victories he does when he he's somehow um trying to overcome uh, all the all the obstacles in this um not really functioning system of ex yugoslavia he's he looks like he owns the place he he's very strong minded he he knows everyone everybody knows him he 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 does everything he likes to do no matter what and then at one point suddenly this system outplays him and he's defeated and he feels a shame and he, and he can't stand it because actually he's very weak because he cannot stand this that system and everybody that represent this system in his head defeated him and he feels so much shame that of course dane could help him but uh safet should let him help him which he can because he's not the one who needs help he's the one helping others that's how, that's where his mm. power is coming from to be able to be better than the rest to to, to win these little games that life uh makes him play and um i think i i deeply understand this shame and this when this weakness finally overcomes him and he just can't bear it and he just runs away and he doesn't have a strength inside of him to come back and ask for help to say okay i lost i was not able to foresee what the future brings i was not able to ask and beg for help i was and this is the this weakness 
of man that is lying underneath this image of very powerful, strong-minded um, men, which, and this is what I think it's, uh, what is very, if you look all the patriarchal systems, uh, and you look at outside, men are really strong and always also aggressive and everything, but underneath, underneath I think is a huge weakness and they're not able to show it. They cannot show it. And then when they're finally forced to show their weakness, they're like, they fall apart. And this is, I think, what happened to, to Safed. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to unpack it um, and to hear you sort of um, explain it because it was because I was so enthralled in the book and with the characters that I was like, why won't he come back? I was desperate to, you know, you know, for him to come back. You were really rooting for it. Um, and then there's that moment when uh, Jadran visits his father in Bosnia a few years after he's left, I think, um, Jadran's 16. And... Um, it's dominated, that passage, those passages, is dominated by the river Una. Can you talk about why the river is so important to Safet? And I'm thinking in particular of that wonderful scene where the estranged father and son uncomfortably go to swim together in the river. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I think the river is the one where he really can remove himself from, from the land where he can be really free and removed because he comes back, but actually he doesn't feel really connected to this world. He, this is not really his world. It's the world of his family, uh, where it's the his father home, actually. He never lived there and he doesn't have relatives there. So yes, he, he comes back, but actually he has some memories from his childhood. It's not the real world. He, he's not feeling comfortable talking to people because he's an outsider. They are like fighting a war which he doesn't really understand, which is not his war. He doesn't want to belong on any side because he's having completely different problems in his life. And, um, and I think the, the, the river is actually the only place where he feels himself removed from both sides. It's uh, maybe more symbolical than, than than anything else in this novel because the he starts he, he comes there when the war starts and there's suddenly this world is separated into two sides and he's in the middle in the river like trying to say I don't care about either of you just leave me alone um, and and it's it's also this river is. Uh, connected to me because my grandmother comes from this Bosanska Otoka and I also don't have really connection. I visited this place only when I was a grown-up, when I took my mother there and to show us uh, where the house of her grandmother was and, and then we discovered that there is just a square and some post office. So there's nothing uh, uh, so there is a really auto-fictional paragraph there explaining how Safet's family lost its fortune. That's really what happened to my family, actually. It's uh, basically transcript of what I've been told. Uh, how? Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, 
I imagine Safed to, to have the same relationship, distant relationship to this place. I imagine like, how would I be if I came there and have no real connection to this place? Um, but because he's sort of, a, he is a Bosnian, then she should belong to Bosnia. But then again, he's... He doesn't. He's an outsider everywhere. Yeah. And um, the novel is also partly about the disintegration of communism and the rise of nationalism. In the present day, Anya, who's um, Jadrin's partner, Anya's father, Miro, and Jadrin's uncle, Dane, both appear to have influence. What are you suggesting? That money, past affiliations, or something else holds the biggest sway today? Well, I think still in such a small country as Slovenia, sometimes uh, the connections are what counts. Of course, money helps, uh, but sometimes people are just well connected. They are, they know how to play the game. Uh, uh, the, basically, you don't really need enormous amount of money to be able to play the game. The ones that people who play this game of influence and power and everything, uh, they're not really rich necessarily. They are just well connected and they know which button you have to press with certain people to get what you want. And so not not Miro maybe is the the richer of the two you mentioned, but it's not just the money, it's uh it's how they connections connection and also to be able to put yourself in the right position in every Every time, it was a lot of people who are successful now were successful before. Um, they didn't; they weren't really a victims of transition. And uh, still, main leader, main Slovenian politicians are ex-communists. So those are the people that were actually built for success. They 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 just knew where to be and how to act in every system. You should you could put them. No matter where they would find themselves on top, because they what they want is to be on top, and just this, they don't have very strong beliefs. They just ask themselves, okay, what I need to do and say to be able to succeed. For English readers, which characters do you hope we will most empathize with? And by writing about flawed characters, you remind us of our shared humanity. Was that always your intention? Well, I see people as flawed. <laughs> So it's not that my intention, but that just what comes when I'm writing about people. Uh, with English readers, it will be same as with any other readers. It's more with um, with which sex you are, which generation you belong. It's um, this is my experience that uh, you connect with a character which is maybe you have the m most connection to older women or the younger it's different kind of connection not necessarily that uh, your englishness if i can say so will prevail uh, and um, but i think much more intimate uh, characteristic will decide which characters you will find closer to you Thank you. And we've, we're very lucky to have um, Olivia here as well. Olivia, how did you become a translator? Hi. Um, well, I guess I feel like I'm still becoming one. And that, that's a nice feeling now. I think at some, 
at some point it might have made me feel anxious and I would have been waiting for a moment where I realised that yes, now I am a literary translator, but I'm actually really enjoying the process at the moment. Um, but in concrete terms, I suppose I've always been someone that's loved learning languages and someone that's loved reading books. So I suppose looking back, it seems quite obvious that this is what I, I might end up doing. I studied um, languages at university and started learning Slovene as a postgraduate student. And I was really lucky at the time that um, I, I was surrounded by some really amazing and enthusiastic people in the department um, who put on, in particular, um, literary evenings. And authors from Slovenia would be invited to Nottingham University, and of which Goran was one at one time, I think back in 2015, maybe. Um, and with some of the other students, um, we would translate short excerpts of authors' work to share with the public who would come to these events. And so that was a really good way of getting started because we had that kind of collaborative network of, of students and the language tutors here. Um, but we got to share our work and we also felt like we were sharing other people's stories, which was a real buzz. So I think that's when I started to realise that that is something that I enjoyed doing and that I could get better at. And how does translation unite people and increase empathy? Oh, um, you were almost beginning to say it in your description of those literary Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of potential layers to that question. And of course, there are lots of practical examples where it does bring people together. Um, and listening to Goran speak, you know, I realised that um, I, I spent a lot of time studying the, the history of the former Yugoslavia and and I had a lot of factual knowledge about what happened, about the order of events, and sometimes quite detailed knowledge about certain aspects of that particular history. But through reading the fig tree, at first as a, as a reader, I, I realised that I'd also been missing a lot of personal stories that you don't often get to hear the day-to-day. -day. Um, and... So in that sense, reading and particularly reading in translation does have this really enticing potential to open us to, to new situations and to new scenarios that, that might otherwise have um, remained unknown to us. But I feel a bit of a butt here and I suppose there is a less fluffy side to the answer where I think sometimes there are limits to what books can do books are books and I think it's important not not to be critical but so that we're not I, I wouldn't want to become complacent and I think um, to paraphrase a good friend of mine um, books aren't social fairy dust and so I like to bear that in mind because um, I would hate to think that we would read books and then just innately think that we're doing something good it's still upon us as readers to to listen, to engage, and and to still keep working and reading. Yeah. And what were some of the challenges you faced when translating this text? And how did you work with Goran? I, I find it hard to answer this question without uh, mentioning the big practical elephant in the room, which was that just as I was about to start translating this novel, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
So that was a huge challenge in terms of navigating how I approached the project and kind of accepting the limits of what I was able to do at that given moment in time. And I did a manar about whether I'd bring that up today, but I think it's important that that people realise that translations aren't created in a vacuum and that there are, you know, these very real circumstances that impact upon our work and how work is produced. But having said that, that it was also it became a treat to work on this book when I was feeling well enough. I was lucky to be very well supported by the publisher and by Goran as well, who was super patient and helpful. And um, yeah, it, it kind of took on extra meaning for me because of that. It was something I was still able to do and still hold on to, you know, a part of who I was. How hands-on was Goran um, in terms of the actual translation? Did you email him passages or speak to him or did you just get on with it? He was, yeah, no, he, we, we had really good conversations, I felt. I would complete a certain number of chapters. I'd kind of get them to a standard that I was happy with where possible. I did feel time pressure with this project because of everything that was going on. So sometimes when I look back, I saw earlier drafts that I'd sent to Goran and, and I would think, oh, I really wish that I hadn't sent it to him at that stage. Um, but um, I would send him sections at a time um, with questions in the comments and and he would just reply with, with his own insights, ideas. Um, and yeah, I, they make for really great reading one day. Maybe we should publish our chats in um, in Microsoft Word <laughs> comments because there are sometimes I ask a question and Goran explains by replying with a joke and then it, it would often take me just as much time to work out the joke <laughs> as it would have done to try and solve the original problem. Um, but yeah, it, it was, I really enjoyed that process. And, and what, in your view, makes a good translator? I think time is, is a very important ingredient um, because, obviously, we, we learn all the time. Our knowledge of language becomes deeper the more we read, the more we live and are immersed in certain cultural worlds. Um, and I'm excited by that thought to think oh, if I can do this now, what might I be able to do in 10, 20 years time? And there are some translators, you know, far on in their careers that I really admire and think, wow, they have such a body of work under their belt. And I really hope that I get the opportunity to do that. But I suppose some more concrete ingredients for me um, that make a good translator are being a really careful, attentive reader, not letting anything slip under your radar, like taking taking care to notice every nuance um, and, and being a good writer. Um, and I think as someone that learnt languages first, so I, I came at translation from a linguist perspective. So for me, the, the, the goal originally was to learn Slovene, this language that I was intrigued by and that I loved. And so the focus for a long time was on, on Slovene, on, on that second language. But I think as I've got older and the more I've listened to other more experienced translators talk, the more and more I realised that it was equally important that I focused and thought of myself as a writer and, and therefore also kept reading 
as much in English as I tried to do in Slovene. So, I, yeah, I think it really, you have to be able to write. And does it matter if the reader hears the original language in the work, or do you aim for a seamless translation? Hmm. I think that really depends on the project you're working on. Um, I can imagine in some genres that um, seamless is the is the main goal that you would aim for. Um, but with the fig tree, multilingualism is really integral to the plot. And yeah. so there were some instances where it was really important to show that these characters are speaking different languages. Um, and this kind of goes back to one of the, the challenges um, you asked me about challenges, and, and this was one of them. When I first read The Fig Tree, um, obviously I, I was aware that Safet, uh, Yadran's father, is speaking Nashki, as Goran says, or Bosnian, as I have to name it at parts in the text. Um, and I understood that because of my knowledge of languages and, and because of context. But actually putting those words in English translation on the page was a lot more difficult for me because I don't know Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian. I haven't learned that language. I just understand from my knowledge of Slovene and Slavonic languages in general. And, and so when there was particular kind of colloquial phrases, I, I really had to do a lot of research and I had to ask Goran and, and sometimes I would ask Goran okay, how would you say this in Slovene? And he would say, quite rightly, I wouldn't really say that in Slovene. And that is, of course, the reason why he wrote it in Nashki in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to make sure that some of that multilingual fabric was, was visible, um, whilst at the same time recognising that flow is really important in this novel as well. There are some amazingly long meandering sentences and that was always something I tried to keep in mind and kept reading aloud to myself to make sure I was maintaining that same flow throughout the text. And what are you both working on next? Would you like to go first, Goran? You've probably got more exciting projects than me. <laughs> well, Part of my projects, I had to postpone them. So I'm working on a documentary film, which is already being postponed about a European uh, basketball championship, which Slovenia won three years ago. And it was planned to be premiered this September, but now we postponed it for at least a year. But of course, you're much more interested in uh, what I'm doing uh, is in, in literature. And I can say that I'm actually finishing my new novel which is almost done and I'm uh, it's something also completely different I always like to surprise my readers and translators of course uh, and uh, I'm hoping that it will be published in spring so that's like huge thing for me uh, because it's almost five years since I published the factory so uh, it never took me longer to produce the new work and I, I didn't really believe that I will manage, uh, but uh, luckily I almost did. Um, so yeah, and then, then I'm writing some smaller stuff. I'm, I'm actually writing some scripts. Uh, actually, there is a film based on my script 
that should start shooting every day now, but they are waiting for the uh, Ministry of Culture to, or actually the government to release funds for film makers. So yeah, it's, we are doing one uh, graphic novel. Actually, I wrote it and now it's been in a process of making uh, the illustrator is, uh, the strip artist is actually in the middle of the work. And uh, so, yeah, it's, I'm always, I've been forced to do many different things at once. Uh, since actually always since I finished my graduation as a film director but um, somehow I got used to it and I I enjoy it so yeah it's but I think the more and more the time pass um, I see that what what I do do with more more passion it's literature and what I do most seriously and what I'm also most proud of is my literature. So that's why I would say that this novel I'm finishing is actually the moment, the biggest thing. But given your film credentials, are there any plans to turn the fig tree into a film? Actually, uh, they are making the theater play right now at the moment. Uh, wow, that would be an epic. Yes, because uh, <laughs> fig tree has been chosen to... Um, uh, for uh, actually for graduate students of uh, in the, for high school for the for the essay graduation essay or how do you call it in I don't know in English I think we might term. say that it's like the set reading it's like the set text for oh, okay. um, for students yeah so this is quite a big thing and a huge compliment for the book and for me but it's also bring uh, then. Uh, obligation to visit a lot of school and talk to kids and of course um, a lot of kids will not write an essay as they would like to write it so probably they will hate me till the rest of my life <laughs> but yes one of the thing is also that they decided to make um, a theater play based on it uh, so but for so far nobody contact me about the film uh, actually we are trying to get funds for the film based on my second novel, Yugoslavia, My Fatherland, at the moment. Um, I co-wrote the, the script there and it's in the process of making and I hope we will get the funds this or the next year. But for now, the fig tree remains, let's say, untucked by filmmakers. And Olivia, what do you have next? Well, like Goran, um, I juggle a couple of things at once. Um, sadly, I can't translate Slovene literature full time. Um, so at the minute, um, translation wise, I've actually just started a new project with the British Centre for Literary Translation, where for four months, I'm going to be translator in residence there, which means I have this wonderful opportunity to have a platform where I can uh, organise events that are designed to raise the profile of the work of literary translators uh, and also talk a bit about what I do. So maybe kind of raising the question of um, how translators from so-called small languages work in, in the UK. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into that. And my projects were, were inspired by my work on the fig tree. I kind of had this idea 
I wanted to have a theme of translating generations and think about what we inherit from previous colleagues, translators, what is there still left to do? So thinking about what would I still like to translate from Slovene literature that hasn't yet made it to um, a UK or US audience. And also encouraging people to think, what would we pass on? So kind of this thinking about the continuation between generations of translators. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm about to get started on. Brilliant. Well, thank you both very much. Um, so could we finish with a short reading in Slovene and then English, if that's all right? I'll just start to read and then you will hear the English text later and understand what, what it's about. Ko se je mesec dni zatempeljal v Mumjan, je bil upokojen. Bila je jesen in nebo se je povesilo. Svenčeni oblaki so se naslonili na krošnje in megliča spršec je vlažil cestišče. Pogled iz avtomobila je bil preslikava njegovega počutja. Vse okoli njega se je pogrezalo in on se je pogrezal sam vase. Pozno poletna otožno se je zavlekla v jesen in prinesla slutno konca. Zdelo se mu je, da se pelje naravno svanj, z vsakim movinkom mu je bil bliže. Njegovo življenje postajalo za njim. Njegovo življenje je bilo preživeto. Vdihnil je, kar se je udalo vdihniti in ostal mu je le še dolg boleč izdih. Z njo, ki ni bila več ona. Vse počasne je vozil in si podaljševal pot do cilja. Nikamor ni več hotel prispeti, nikogar srečati. Za hip si je zaželel, da tudi nje ne bi bilo in bi ga v Momjanu pričakala prazna hiša, v katero bi poniknil. Če bi bila tam ona, njegova Jana, bi bilo morda drugače, a ta kateri se je peljal, ni bila ona. Njega je bilo strah, ker ni razumela, kaj je govoril. Ko nič ni govoril. Ni se mogel navaditi njenega pogleda, ki ga ni znal prebrati. To je bil pogled pozabe. Koliko njega je že pozabila, koliko ga še bo. Koliko nju je sploh še ostalo za tem pogledom zdaj, ko ni v njunem življenju ničesar več razenil. Ničesar ni, le še ona dva sta, ona z njim in on z njo. In zdaj tudi to izginja neknje v njej, dokler ne bo povsem izginilo in bo sta ona in on obstajala le še zanj. Kakor lep, žalosten privit. One month later, he made the journey to Momjan as a retired man. It was autumn and the sky hung low. Leaden clouds were supported by the crowns of trees and the road was damp with misty drizzle. His emotions were rendered in the landscape outside. Everything around him was sinking and he was sinking into himself. The late summertime melancholy had dragged on into autumn and hinted at an ending. It seemed as if he were driving directly towards it, every turn taking him closer while his life was left behind in the distance. His life had already been lived. He had inhaled all there was to inhale and a long, painful exhale was all that was left. With her, but without her. He was driving slower and slower and his destination grew further away. He no longer had any desire to arrive anywhere. He no longer wished to see anyone, ever. For a brief moment, he wished he could arrive in Momjan to an empty house where he could hide away. If she, his Jana, were there, maybe things would be different. But the person he was driving to see was not her anymore. He was afraid of her because she didn't understand what he was saying when he said nothing at all. He couldn't get used to the look in her eyes, a look he couldn't read. It was the look of memory lost. 
How much of him had she already lost? How much more was there to lose? How much of the two of them remained behind those eyes, now, when all that they had was each other? There was nothing else, only the two of them left, her with him, and him with her. And now that was vanishing somewhere inside her too, until it would disappear completely, and he and her would only exist for him, as a beautiful, sorrowful apparition. Oh, I'm so glad you picked um, that passage, because I haven't said it in the interview, but I have said it in, in my review, that I thought your depiction of someone with memory loss from the perspective of the husband was, I think, some of the most moving writing I've ever read on the subject. I thought it was absolutely superb. So I'm so glad that you gave us a flavour of that, because it's really, really terrific. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for your time and for giving us an invaluable insight into the fig tree. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you. The Fig Tree is published by Istros Books and is available from online outlets such as Waterstones, Foils, Daunt Books, Hive and Amazon. To buy The Fig Tree from your local independent bookseller, you can find your nearest store by visiting booksellers.org.uk forward slash bookshop search. This podcast is brought to you by Bookblast. For more bookishness between episodes, visit online journal The Bookblast Diary or find us on Twitter at Bookblast. Special thanks to sound editor Rupert Such, theme tune composer Edward Campbell, author Goran Voinovich, translator Olivia Hellwell, and interviewer Lucy Popescu for taking the time to do the interview. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Bookblast podcast. Mm-hmm.